Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's Hugh Ballou and it's Tuesday at two o'clock Eastern time in the USA. And for eight, over eight years, I've had the pleasure of interviewing some really good people with good ideas, people who've been places and done things. Maybe we didn't do it all perfectly the first time, but maybe we learned along the way. So we've studied what we do, we've used it, and now we're sharing it. And I have a wonderful guest today, Denise Blanc. And Denise, the title of this interview is uh, Tools to Transform Resistance. So to start out, tell us a little bit about who Denise is and a little bit about your background. Thank you, Hugh. Thanks for having me. Um, happy to. My background is a combination. Right now, I would say, you know, first and foremost, I do coaching, emotional intelligence coaching. I've been certified in emotional intelligence. I'm also a mediator and do have done a lot of work around what we call conflict transformation in the field. I'm a Buddhist, so mindfulness practices have been a huge component of my life. And most of my career has been in leadership development. So a lot of my work is kind of distilling those pieces together. And you do this, why? What is your passion for doing this work? You know, when I was little, I was, I, I, I think I was called blunt a number of times, but I felt like I was really a truth teller. I, that's, a, that's a huge thing for me. Um, and I'm, I had really good antenna, I think, even as a little, little one of seeing when things were not truthful. I could often, I, I didn't have words for it, um, but I was uncomfortable when I could feel that there was this kind of dissonance between what people said and what they were doing in their body and I think that there's been kind of I you know it's funny no one's asked me this question so I'm just thinking on the cuff here but I I think I've been on a search like really literally seeking um, tools throughout my life to continue to tell the truth and do it skillfully and and there's not and a lot of it is seeking the truth because um we're we're complex beings and really beginning to understand what's what's actually going on for us like being able to decipher all the kind of swirling emotions that many of us have is not easy and so i've been really literally on the search um as a buddhist a lot of the search is within and having a long-term sitting practice so yeah, I think I think that's kind of a combination of really this endless search for learning how to tell the truth and being authentic. Ah, <clears throat> that's a word that I have a favorite for. A transformational leader must be authentic, and you know, all you can be is who you can be. And I, I people say I'm blunt, but you know, I'm direct. Why do we jump around and hem and haw and hint at things when we could just say what it is? Um, so that's a refreshing thing to hear. Now, our title <clears throat> is Tools to Transform Resistance. 
So before we talk about the tools, let's define, how do you frame this word resistance? What does that mean to you? I think we can feel it. Um, you know, when I'm using the river language and I'm using the river language a lot, like we know what rapids are. Rapids are a certain kind of turbulence in the water. And so when you think about resistance, you can also think about turbulence or lack of flow. You know, I mean, we know what it's like when it's easy and things are moving. When it's hard and it's not moving, um, there you can use that word resistance. And so it could, it could look really different. It could look like conflict. It could look like, you know, just kind of a difference of opinion or a misunderstanding or something not in sync. We're not, we're not moving together. So um, does that make sense? It does. It does. It's just, you opened up a lot of topics there that have my brain racing. So didn't, uh, so um, you're, you're very direct that I surprised you with a question. I didn't warn you there was hard questions coming up, but you handle that really nicely. So I'm a career musician. I'm a conductor and we have, we, we have ears. And so my career was learning how to listen. Now we all hear the same stuff, but how do we decipher what we hear? And you're in front of a hundred piece orchestra. There's a lot going on and it's up to us to, mm, okay, that triangle played in the wrong beat. So let's, let's, let's address that. And that's the direct. So there's sometimes that leaders actually set up problems because we're not really clear. And there's sometimes we just let them persist because we're not dealing with them. So talk about this. Um, how do people learn to listen and how do you work teaching people to listen? Can people learn this? People can absolutely learn this. It is, an, it is a skill. It is a skill. You know, one of, one of my um, clients talked about having three ears, you know, opening up three ears and this idea of opening your ears wide as a conductor, it's really interesting at what you're listening to. We can listen really differently depending on what we do. What you listen to as a conductor is very different than maybe what you're listening to with your wife and or your, your child. And so some people choose to listen. An attorney may listen to, you know, um, look for their angle. Um, a lot of people look, listen to solve a problem, but listening to understand is very different. And so teaching people how to listen to understand is, opens up a lot of new arena. And that is, um, you know, we're in a very charged, very polarized time right now where people feel so differently about things. And people think that if you're listening, it means you agree, but that's not the case. You do not have to agree to listen. You can listen to understand someone's perspective without agreeing with them at all. And that's a powerful, actually it's a superpower to be able to do. So- um, Absolutely, absolutely. And that that's another set of things, you know, we. We listen for particular things, like a realtor wants to know what, what kind of house somebody wants, or I use car salesman. But you and I have trained as coaches. And what I understand about coaching is it's 90% listening. So it's very active listening. 
and you know most of that other 10% is listening as well but it's it's really trying to unpack what somebody doesn't and you know, my coach highlights things that I really wasn't aware that I said but I did so there's a there's a gift in listening isn't there there is a gift in listening and I'm going to use another river word here um because I'm I'm finding them so helpful but there's undercurrents a lot of times going on in a conversation and a good listener is listening for the undercurrents it's something something isn't kind of syncing up or it might be this combination of a micro expression you see you see something pass over someone's face you know or their brow wrinkles just really small or just a tiny smile and somebody who's really tuned in who's listening underneath catches those and that that opens up a huge arena um oftentimes what people have not been conscious of and that's where it gets really i think really rich and really interesting oh yes dig deep so um I'm a fan of Richard Rohr, who's an author, speaker. He's a Franciscan, but he, you know, the name, he quotes Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus. And, and what I read often, Jesus says to his disciples, are you listening? Are you really listening? So there's, there's a whole different level of paying attention. And what I learned in my coach training is to listen actively, but leave some silence to affirm that we've actually listened. Did you learn the same kind of, uh, awareness I, I want to call it awareness because really listening and waiting so that you've affirmed that yeah i've really listened to you because you know when you're talking to people sometimes you're aware they're not really listening they're formatting they're formatting their answer before you've finished talking yeah pausing and leaving space um i like the word pregnant pause you know because i think it i think it's really like when you think about there is lots of life growing underneath. And if you leave some room, um, even when it feels a little uncomfortable or more or real uncomfortable, something emerges. And what emerges is worth usually the weight. It's worth the weight. And ideally, you know, no one's interested anymore in talking heads. I feel like it's the, it's an era that's gone. Um, we're, we're bored by it, young people especially. And, and so um, making sure that you're creating opportunities for people to speak and engage is essential, I think, for, for really good communication and for learning. Oh, yeah. It's monologue. It's dialogue, not monologue. You know, the, the talking head talks at you. I think we all want people to talk with us. Are you, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned somewhere um, mindfulness. How do you define mindfulness? I actually always go back to um, the definition from John Kabat-Zinn, who, who, who created the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. And he says, choose to be where you are, paying attention on purpose and without judgment as if your life depended on it. Mm. And so I, I actually unpack that in my book, choose to be where you are, you know, just being present, paying attention on purpose 
and without judgment, which is the hard part, um, as if your life depended on it. And I'm kind of wondering if it, it actually does. That we, we are really wanting and needing that kind of mindful attention in life. The so many distractions are not healthy and we're seeing it and just kind of, you know, people, people aren't doing well mental health wise, people are not doing well. Um, we're seeing a huge chronic um, rise in ADHD and attention deficit disorders with everybody. Um, I don't think it works to, to have so many things going on at once. So just focusing you and I right now, or whatever it is you're doing, it's sort of a radical move. You know, as um, you and I both speak in front of audiences, and the uh, using silence is powerful. And sometimes the pregnant pause, it's, it's important because you're going to give birth to something. And that's part of the anticipation that's coming. So the the silence is just, and, and in music, that's a punctuation. It's not absence of sound. It's a punctuation to calm the emotion and then to set up for the next one. So ri River Logic. Now, those people listening on the podcast won't be able to see, but I'm going to go to your website. I usually do this later in the podcast, but it, you brought it up. So let's talk about the book. And then if they go to the River Logic website, um, what will they find there? It's it's riverlogictools.com. River Logic, L-O-G-I-C, tools.com. So first, tell us about what inspired you to write the book and what's this book about? Yeah, the 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 first of all, the word river logic is really a powerful word for me. And it it came originally from a, listening to a talk with Pema, who who was describing how people live, um, she was describing people with rock logic, where we just become fundamentalists in our thinking, rigid, righteous, unmovable. And then she contrasted it with water logic. I started playing around with words and came up with river logic. And so a lot of what this book is, is sort of a journey. It's like a journey from rock logic to river logic. How do we move from being immovable and rigid in our thinking to more fluid, adaptable, and open. And so I take people somewhat on a journey. There's seven chapters. Each chapter has a river word. And I'm really looking at how do we do that? Like literally, how do we do that? And, and when I was in the design of the book and thinking about it, I was, I was kind of doing my own research. Like, whether I was in a conversation with somebody, I was just noticing where is their movement. Um, I have been a mediator. I would, people come into mediation very stuck in their position. And typically the mediations ran at the max three hours. And I was very curious to see movement. Like where is the movement? Where are the openings? And I actually always was good at finding them and helping people begin to see them. And so it started instead of being that kind of stuck, like immovable, like a rock, they can, they can start shifting a little bit. They, they're becoming more aware of the other person's reasons and be, and, you know, I'm not saying that it would go from stuck to fluid in three hours, 
but having some movement, some opening, some willingness to um, look at something differently, that became what I'd call river logic. I love it. And the, I'm just going down a pathway as you talked about the rock. And we get so, I don't know what the word is, we get so embedded into our opinion that we're just unaware that there's a whole different world out there that might give us some good wisdom if we would just pay attention. Um, and it doesn't mean that you got to cave in on any of your principles, does it, Denise? No. And that's that's the beauty. So I use this example of water. Now, water changes shape. Water is a shapeshifter. It will take the shape of whatever object it's in. But water never ceases to be water. So that became like a really interesting um, model for me. We can shapeshift, but we don't have to lose what we care about, what we most value. And it's really important to have what I call hardback, like firm foundation boundaries so that we can have a soft front where we can be more open. If we don't know what we stand for, we can get caught and we could be, you know, people who have no boundaries don't know where they stand. They get lost. People who are rigid, who have a strong back, but they also have a strong front. They're armored. Nothing comes in. So this ability to um, be clear about what we care about, what's non-negotiable, gives us some openness to be curious and work with other people. Sometimes we might even change our mind or see some points that make sense to us. So this is really, um, in a lot of ways, is where my passion is these days, is being able to cross the aisle, talk to people who are different, be in worlds that are not like echo chambers and be able to have real conversations. Even if it gets hot, heated, I can handle the heat these days. Um, yeah, so that's. Well, it, it, it's um, your role as mediator probably helps people handle the perceived heat. And if we attack each other, it's a downward spiral, but if we can attack ideas, we can explore the differences. But, you know, we also have similarities and we probably have, I bet in your mediation work, you look for where are our common values and principles that we can align on. And then can we build that? Am I making an assumption there that's true or not? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of a complete um, main piece that a mediator is doing is looking where, where, where there's some shared values what commonalities, things that we both care about. Um, it's a great kind of starting point for people. And, you know, I, you know that expression it used to be six degrees of separation. Yeah. We used to hear that a lot. Yeah. My sense is that with a conversation, especially if you hang in there and you're persistent, it's one degree. We can find it. We can find that degree. Yes, 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 yes. Thinking about, we're talking about um, repair. Um, so there's a, there's a preventative piece and there's a diagnostic piece. And, you know, the, how do we prevent getting into these situations? There, we have, and you, you refer to it, I'm going to call it anxiety. We have a lot of anxiety and fear in the culture over many things. 
but there's there's an awareness of how do we approach it as a calm conscious leader you know being principle based and um not being driven by the anxiety or the fear so you got any advice on on how do we prevent some of this and how do we you know aware of what's coming and maybe if there's conflict we all play a role what is our role how do we figure that out such a good question i feel like this work for any of us, and it takes some courage to jump into this work. There's a lot of um, personal work that everyone has to do. And the personal work is really about um, knowing how to self-regulate our, our nervous system. Our nervous system will get activated. It's what we do. I mean, it's fight or flight is, is, is a primitive brain um, response. To override it takes work. And we have to have some practices and this is where mindfulness comes in. Um, but we also have to be aware of what's happening to us at the time. I have this quote in my book that I, I thought it was so powerful when I first heard it from Thich Nhat Hanh, where he says, um, when the Vietnamese came over in the boats they were met with pirates and huge storms. But if just one person was able to stay calm and centered, it was enough for everyone to survive. It's it's so interesting. I don't know how many times I say it, I still get the chills. But the, that that's that's what I think is required. We have to be able to do that, and it has a huge ripple effect on other people when we can hold that kind of space. Yeah, our our anxiety is contagious, and our calmness is 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 very influential. We're, we came in influence. So all the stuff we're taught about is based in relationship and our, and not our position of power, but how we influence others, no matter where we are in the organization. I think what you're saying is useful to us, no matter if we're at the top of the leadership chain or in the middle somewhere or at the bottom, these are all tools that we can use. So the book is useful. It's Ridger river logic, um, river logic tools is that the name of the book? No, the name of the book is River Logic, Tools to Transform Resistance and Create Flow in All of Our Relationships. That's lovely. Um, so your, your work is probably outlined in the book, but there's a whole lot more that you do. So I invite people to go and check out your website and there's a place to get the book and you have uh podcast and, and other good resources. So give us some an example. I'm a I'm an example kind of guy. So give me an idea of what it looks like. An example of how you were able to uh, transform resistance. Um well I can give you a number of examples. Well, let me let me think about the one I want to give you. Um well this is a very recent example. It's a coaching client I have. And I was, he was brought to me and I was told he's got an anger problem. Denise, you can help him. They were thinking, who, who can help this guy? He's a, he's a, he's a, he's kind of a hot shot, you know, in his organization. Um, so a lot of people don't, don't cross him much. And he has a, he has a pattern of blasting people, um, maybe even being a bully. 
And I was just beginning to work with him. I mean, it was really like the early stages where I was sharing some of the um, homework that I wanted him to do for me and a number of exercises. And it was a little insensitive of me because he's got a very big job and I was going to be meeting with him at the end of the week. And I think I gave him his assignments at the beginning of the week and I got the blast that I had heard other people get. He sent me a really, really angry email. And I mean, it was like on a scale of one to 10, it was right up there. It was maybe nine plus. And I was, I mean, I remember I'm a swimmer. So I, I, I had the reaction that anyone would have when you get attacked like that. Um, and I went swimming and I was really working on it. And I was thinking, wow, this is the beginning of a coaching relationship. This is not going well. And so when I met with him, first of all, I apologized for being insensitive about giving him so much. Um, and he just started to berate me. And I, I said, what is your intention in, in your, I, I and he, so he was doing kind of what you're doing. He just like, I mean, he didn't, he said, well, it was really unfair. And I said, would you like to hear what the impact of, of your email was for me? And he was kind of like, I guess. And I said, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it was about a 10. So it was really hard to take that. And I understand, and I did apologize. We. So what I did is I, I actually put the mirror up. So he was able to see sort of what he did. We sort of began to kind of un, unpack that combination of like intention versus impact as a tool. And in that moment, he completely trusted me. I don't think anyone's ever talked to him like that. So I was honest. I also was really compassionate. And, and so it, it, what I think is really important is to be real and, and this idea of being able to be clear, but kind, which is what Brene Brown says. I love it. Clear and kind. And so for somebody who's um, got a big personality and maybe a lot of ego, uh, it's really important to be clear, to be meeting them. So that's that's just something that happened recently. Well, that's a that is a common scenario that I've seen a lot, and it's typically a dominant male who's a power player, who really has a very fragile ego, and maybe they're afraid of some things, so they come across really strong, and everybody just cowers and just you know backpedals and they don't address it. And so what you, I talk to you a minute before we came on about the work of Murray Bowen and what I've learned in studying Bowen systems is approaching conflict calmly and directly, which in you, we can add kindly, you know, Dr. Zeus to speak the truth kindly. <laughs> and so um, that is a powerful story because we tend to just cower and say, oh, what the heck? But wait a minute, you put up the mirror in a way that person was able to receive it without feeling criticized. So you didn't, you did not let the anxiety 
govern how you responded. So that's that's a very good example. We tend to take on the anxiety and then escalate the situation. And then what you did was just the opposite. Okay. And you actually asked them for information. And, and looking at your face, trying to mirror what his face was, that was something people hadn't asked him before. So it's a fresh new way. So that's one of the tools that people will find in your book, I gather, that kind of tool. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of tools in the book. Um, it's pretty well researched. So it's a, it's, it, you know, when you get to write a book, any of you out there, if you want to write a book, you get to put anything you want, you know, you get to do it your way. And I realized that my book has been my, my path, my journey with all the things that I mentioned earlier from, from Buddhism to mind, you know, mindful practices and emotional intelligence and a lot of conflict stories um, and many, many examples in terms of my leadership work. Everybody should write books. It's a journey of discovery of self and your topic. So Denise, um, in the short interview, you've given me lots of insights. So thank you. So I want to repeat that people can find you at riverlogictools.com. And I assume there's a contact button there that people can send you a message or, or correspond with you on the website. Yes, yes. And I'm once a month putting together River Logic Tips. So if people want to sign up um, on the email list, they will get in their inbox um, once a month, River Logic Tips. Now, just want to point out, these things only help if you read them and you put them to use. So you've given us lots of really good stuff. And I think if people write notes and then try out one thing at a time. So as we um, end up this, this really helpful interview, what do you want to leave people with, a tip or a thought or a challenge? What, what do you want to leave people with? I have a quote that I came up with that I think actually is pretty good. Every time I read it, I think it's pretty good. Um, and the quote is, the quality of communication is only equal to the quality of our presence. Wow. So we have work to do, all of us. Being present. So Denise Blanc, um, River Logic Tools. Thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.